Chapter Six of Edmund Dulac's Fairy Tale Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Thaler. Edmund Dulac's Fairy Tale Book by Edmund Dulac. Chapter Six: The Hind of the Wood. Once upon a time, there lived a king and a queen whose marriage was as happy as happy could be. They loved each other tenderly, and in turn their subjects loved them. But one thing clouded their life, and that was that they had no children, no heir. The queen thought that the king would love her much more if she had a child, so she made up her mind to drink of the water of a certain spring. People came there in thousands from afar to drink of this special kind of water, and one saw so many that it looked as though all the world and his wife were there. Now there were many, many lovely fountains in the wood where the queen and other people went to drink at the spring. So the queen asked her ladies to lead the others away to these fountains to amuse themselves and leave her alone. Then, when they had all withdrawn, she bewailed in a plaintive voice. Am I not unhappy, she said, to have no children? The poor women who can badly afford them have plenty, but here it is now five years that I have begged heaven to give me one. Oh! Am I to die without ever having a little child? Never, never, never... She broke off suddenly, for she saw that the water of the fountain was troubled. Then a big crayfish came up and climbed on to the bank and spoke to her. Great queen, you shall have your desire. Near here is the grand palace which the fairies built, but it is impossible for you to find it because it is surrounded by strong fairy barricades, through which no mortal eye could ever see, nor mortal footstep pass, without a guide. But I am your humble servant, and if you will trust yourself to me, I will take you there. The queen listened without interrupting, for hearing a big crayfish talk, and talk so nicely too, was a great surprise to her. But there was a still greater surprise in store. The crayfish waved its feelers in the air, and before she could count to three, it had taken the form of a beautiful little old woman, with pretty snow-white hair and a dainty shepherdess costume. She bowed low, and then spoke. "'Well, madam,' said she, "'always look upon me as one of your friends, for I wish nothing but what would be for your good.' She was so sweet and charming that the queen kissed her, and then by common consent they went off hand in hand through the wood by a way which surprised the queen." It was the way by which the fairies came from the palace to the fountains. As they went, the queen paused to look at a strange thing which made her heart beat very fast. At a certain spot, the bushes overhead were full of roses and orange blossoms, entwined and laced in such a way as to form a cradle covered with leaves. The earth beneath was a carpet of violets, and in the giant cedars above, thousands of little birds, each one a different colour, sang their songs, and the meaning of their melody was this, that cradle, woven by fairy fingers, was not there for nothing. The queen had not got over this surprise before she saw in the distance a castle that dazzled her vision, so splendid did it shine. To tell the truth, the walls and the ceilings were of nothing but diamonds, and all the benches, even the balcony and terraces, all were pure diamonds scintillating with flashes beyond the strength of human eye to bear. 
the queen gave a great cry of joy as she covered her eyes with her hand then as they came to the gate of the castle she asked the little old woman if what she saw were real or if she were dreaming nothing is more real madame the fairy replied and at that moment the door of the castle opened and six other fairies came out but what fairies they were the most beautiful ever seen they all made a low bow to the queen and each one presented her with a branch flowering with petals of precious stones to make herself a bouquet one bore roses another tulips another rare wild flowers and the rest budded with carnations and pomegranates madam they said we could not give you a greater mark of our friendship for you than to invite you here we are pleased to be able to tell you that you shall have a lovely little princess whom you shall call desiree be sure not to forget that when she is born you summon us because we wish to endow her with all the good qualities possible all you will have to do is take the branches of the bouquet and in naming each flower think of the fairy of that name rest assured that we shall be in your room immediately the queen full of joy threw her arms around each one's neck in turn and kissed them all over and over again for half an hour after that they begged the queen to go through to their palace and the diamonds were so bright that the queen could not keep her eyes open then they took her through their garden never was there such lovely fruit the apricots were larger than her head and she could only eat a quarter of one and the taste was so lovely that the queen resolved never to eat anything else as long as she lived she remained in the palace until the evening and then having thanked the fairies for all they had done for her she returned with the fairy of the fountain now when the queen went home she found that they were all very upset and had been searching for her and could not think where she had gone some had thought that as she was so beautiful and young some stranger had taken her away which was reasonable for she spoke so nicely to everyone but now at last they had found her and the king was himself again the queen soon found that what the fairies had said was true on a certain day she had a little daughter and she called her desiree then remembering their words she at once took the bouquet and named each flower and thought of the fairies one after the other and lo immediately they were all there their arms were crammed full of presents and after they had kissed the queen and the little princess they began to distribute the presents there was beautiful lace with the history of the world worked into it then came a lovely cover all marked in gold representing all the toys that children play with the cot was then shown and the queen went into raptures over it it surely was the nicest ever made it was of beautiful rare wood with a canopy of blue silk inwrought with diamonds and rubies then the fairies took the little princess on their knees and kissed her and hugged her because she was so good and beautiful each fairy wished her a good quality one wished her to be wise another wished that she might be good another wished her to be virtuous another to be beautiful another to possess a good fortune and the fifth asked for her a long life and good health then came the last and she wished that desiree might obtain all that she herself could ever wish for 
the queen thanked them a hundred times for all the good things they had given her little daughter and while she was doing so all gave a sudden start for the door opened and a tremendous crayfish so large that it could hardly get through the door came in waving its feelers in the air oh ungrateful queen said the crayfish you did not trouble to ask me here is it possible that you have so soon forgotten the fairy of the fountain and the good services i did in taking you to my sisters why you have invited all of them and i am the only one forgotten the queen was terribly upset at her error and begged the fairy to forgive her she hastened to assure her that she had not for a moment forgotten her great obligation to her and she begged her not to go back on her friendship and particularly to be good to the little princess the others thought that the fairy of the fountain would wish evil to the baby princess and so they said to her dear sister do not be cross with the queen she is good and never would offend you now as the fairy of the fountain liked to be spoken to nicely this softened her a little and she said very well i will not wish her all the harm i was going to i will lessen it a little but take care that she never sees the light of day until she is fifteen or she and you will have reason to regret it that is all i have to say then suddenly changing into the little old woman with the white hair and shepherdess dress she pirouetted through the wall staff in hand and the cries of the queen and the prayers of the good fairies did not matter a bit the queen begged the other fairies to avert the terrible catastrophe and besought them to tell her what to do they consulted together and at last told the queen that they would build a palace without any windows or doors and with an underground passage so that the princess's food could be brought to her and she was to be kept there until she was fifteen then with a wave of their hands they made a lovely pure white marble castle spring up and inside of this all the chairs were made of jewels and even the floors were no different and here the little princess dwelt and grew up a good and beautiful child possessing all the good qualities that her fairy godmothers had wished for her and from time to time they came to see how she was getting on but of all the fairy godmothers tulip was the favourite she reminded the queen never to forget the warning not to allow the princess to see the light of day lest the terrible fate that the fairy of the fountain had laid upon her would surely come to pass the queen of course promised never to forget so important a matter now just as her little daughter was nearing the age of fifteen the queen had her portrait taken and sent to all the great courts of the world and so it happened that one prince when he saw it took it and shut it up in his cabinet and talked to the portrait as though it was the princess herself in the flesh the courtiers heard him and went and told his father that his son had gone mad and that he was shut up in his room talking all day long to something or somebody who wasn't there the king immediately sent for his son and told him what the courtiers had said about him then he asked him if it was true and what had come over him to act like this the prince thought this a favourable opportunity so he threw himself at the feet of the king and said you have resolved sire to marry me to the black princess but i love the princess desiree you have not seen her said the king how can you love her neither have i seen the black princess but i have both their portraits replied the warrior prince he was so named because he had won three great battles 
but I assure you that I have such a love for the Princess Desiree, that if you do not withdraw your word to the Black Princess and allow me to have Desiree, I shall die, and I shall be very glad to do so if I am unable to have the princess I love. It is to her portrait, then, that you have been speaking, said the king. My son, you have made yourself the laughing stock of the whole court. They think you are mad. You would be as much struck as I am if you saw her portrait, replied the prince firmly. Fetch it and show it to me, then, said the king, equally firmly. The prince went and returned with the princess's portrait as requested, and the king was so struck with her beauty that he gave the prince leave there and then to marry her, and promised to withdraw his word from the other princess. "'My dear warrior,' said he, "'I should love to have so beautiful a princess in my court.' The prince kissed his father's hand, and bowed his knee, for he could not conceal his joy. He begged the king to send a messenger not only to the black princess, but also to Princess Desiree, and he hoped that in regard to his own princess he would choose a man who would prove the most capable, and he must be rich, because this was a special occasion, and called for all the elaborate preparation it was possible to show in such a diplomatic mission. The king's choice fell on Prince Bekafig. He was a young prince, who spoke eloquently, and he possessed five millions of money. And beside this, he loved the warrior prince very dearly. When the messenger was taking his leave, the prince said to him, Do not forget, my dear Bekafig, that my life depends on my marrying Princess Desiree, whom you are going to see. Do your best for me, and tell the princess that I love her. Then he handed Bekafig his photograph to give the princess. The young Prince Bekafig's cortege was so grand, and consisted of so many carriages, that it took them twenty-three hours to pass and the whole world turned out to see him enter the gates of the palace where the king and queen and princess desiree lived the king and queen saw him coming and were very pleased with all his grandeur and commanded that he should be received in a manner befitting so great a personage becafig was taken before the king and queen and after paying his respects to them told them his message and asked to be introduced to the princess desiree what was his surprise on being refused? "'I am very sorry to have to say no to your request, Prince Bekafig,' said the king, "'but I will tell you why. "'On the day the princess was born, "'a fairy took an aversion to her "'and said that a great misfortune should befall her "'if she saw the light of day before she was fifteen years of age.' "'And am I to return without her?' said Bekafig. "'Here is a portrait of the warrior prince.' Then, as he was handing it to the king, and was about to say something further about it, a voice came from the photograph, speaking with loving tones. "'Dear Desiree, you cannot imagine with what joy I wait for you. Come soon to our court, where your beauty will grace it, as no other court will ever be graced.' The portrait said nothing more, and the king and queen were so surprised that they asked Bekafig to allow them to show it to the princess.' Bekafig readily assented, and the queen took the portrait to the princess and showed it to her, and the princess was delighted. Although the queen had told her nothing, the princess knew that it meant a great marriage, and was not surprised when her mother asked, "'Would you be cross if you had to marry this man?' "'Madam,' said the princess, "'it is not for me to choose. I shall be pleased to obey whatever you wish.' "'But,' said the queen, 
if my choice should fall on this particular prince, would you consider yourself happy? The princess blushed, and turned her eyes away, and said nothing. Then the queen took her in her arms and kissed her, for she loved the princess very much, and knew that she would soon lose her, for it wanted only three months to her fifteenth birthday. When the prince knew that he could not have his dear princess Desiree until three months had passed, he became very sad and could not sleep at night, until at last his strength gave way and he was near to death. Doctors were called in, but they could do nothing at all, and the king was in a dreadful state, for he loved his son very much. Now the other messenger, who was sent to the black princess to tell her that the prince had changed his mind and was going to marry another, was admitted to her presence and soon explained his errand. Monsieur Messenger, she said, when he had finished, is it possible that your master does not think I am beautiful or rich enough? Look out over my broad lands, and you will find that they are so vast that you cannot see where they end. And as for money, I have large coffers full to the brim, as any one will tell you. Madam, replied the messenger, I blame my master as much as a humble subject may. Now, if I were sitting on the greatest throne in the world, I would think it the highest favor from heaven if you would share it with me. That speech has saved your life, said the black princess. You may go. When the fairy of the fountain heard this, she was extremely angry, and she looked in her book to make sure that the warrior prince had really left the black princess in favor of the princess Desiree. Yes, it was quite true. What? cried the fairy of the fountain. This ill-omened Desiree is always in some way upsetting my plans. No, I will not allow it to happen. Why should I? Now the messenger, Bekafig, hurried along to the court of Desiree's father and mother, and threw himself at their feet, and told them that his master was very ill and likely to die if he did not see the princess. The king and queen agreed that it would be best to go and tell the princess about the prince. So the queen went and told her daughter all she knew, not forgetting to mention the evil wish that had been laid upon her at the time of her birth. But the princess asked her mother if it were not possible to defeat this wish by taking steps to send her to the prince in a carriage with all the light shut out. This was agreed upon, and a carriage was made on a subtle plan, with a separate compartment for the princess and mousetrap blinds through which food and drink could be inserted without admitting the light of day. In this, she, with her two ladies-in-waiting, Long Epine and Giroflet, set forth, and all the court wept together with the king and queen at the going away of their little princess. Now Long Epine did not care for Desiree very much, and what is more, she loved the warrior prince, having seen his photograph and heard him speak. The queen's last words at parting were, Take care of my little daughter, and do not on any account let her see the light of day. I have made all arrangements with the prince that she is to be shut up in a room where she will not be able to see the light, and every care will be taken. And with these words in their ears they set off, having promised the queen that all would be done as she wished. Long Epine told herself she would never let the princess win the warrior prince, not if she could prevent it. So at dinner-time that day, when the sun was at its highest, she went as usual to the carriage with the princess's food, and with a big knife slit the blind so that the light streamed in. 
No sooner had she done so than a strange thing happened. The princess had been quite alone in the darkened compartment. Then how was it that a white hind leaped out through the window and sped away into the forest? Long Epine watched it, wondering. Then she looked in at the window, but the compartment was empty. The princess had gone. Immediately the princess, in the form of a white hind, had disappeared into the forest. Her good friend Giroflet began to chase after her. As soon as she had gone, Long Epine took the clothes of her mistress and dressed herself up in them, and resolved to impersonate the princess before the young prince. Then the carriage drove on, and in it sat Long Epine, disguised as the princess. When they arrived, she presented herself as Desiree, but the prince looked at her with horror, for she was not at all like a real princess. Desiree's dress, which she wore, came to her knees, and she had not noticed that her ugly legs showed below the dress. "'This is not the princess of the portrait,' said the prince and his father together. "'You took us for fools, no doubt.' The false princess said that it was a terrible thing to bring her away from her kingdom, to be treated in this way, and to break the word that they had given. "'How can you do this?' she cried. At this the prince and his father were so angry that they did not reply at all, but simply had the false princess clapped in irons and put into prison. The prince was so heartbroken at this new trouble that he resolved to go and shut himself up for the remainder of his life alone. At once he summoned the faithful Becafigue and told him all. Then he wrote a letter to his father and sent it by Becafigue. "'If I never see my real princess again,' he wrote, I beg of you that at least you will keep that sham one locked up and guard her close. Now all this time the princess was in the woods, running hither and thither as hinds do. Once or twice she looked at herself in the water of the fountain and saw herself so changed that she cried out, Is it I? Am I this hind? Then at last she got very hungry and began to eat berries and herbs and finally sought a quiet spot and went to sleep. The fairy Tulip had always loved the princess, and said that if she left the castle before she was fifteen, she was sure that the fairy of the fountain would relent and do her no harm. But as for Giroflet, she was all this time wandering round looking for the little princess. She had walked so much and now felt so tired that she lay down and went to sleep in the forest. The next morning the princess, seeking moss among the ferns, found her. When she saw that it was Giroflet, she went up to her and caressed her with her nozzle, as hinds do, and looked into her eyes until at last Giroflet knew full well that it was the princess turned into a white hind. She watched the hind attentively, and saw two large tears fall from her eyes, and then there was not a single doubt that it was her dear little princess. So she put her arms round her neck, and they wept together. Then Giroflet told the princess that she would never leave her, and that she would stay with her until the end. The hind understood, and to show her gratitude, took Giroflet into the very deepest part of the forest, to find her some luscious fruit which she had seen there. But on the way Giroflet called out in alarm. She would die of fright if she had to spend the night in such a desolate spot and then they both began to cry. Their cries were so pitiful 
that they touched the heart of the good fairy Tulip, and she came to their aid. Giroflée begged her to have pity on her young mistress, and to give her back her natural form. But the fairy Tulip said that it was impossible to do that. She said that she would do what she could. She told Giroflée that if she went into the forest, she would come to the hut of an old woman. She was to speak her fare, and ask her to take charge of both of them. Then, when night came, the princess would change back into her natural form. But as this could only happen at night in the hut, they must be very careful. Now Giroflée thanked the fairy and went, as she had told her, far into the wood, and there, sure enough, she saw a hut and an old woman sitting outside on a bench. She went up to her at once. "'My dear mother,' she said, "'will you allow me to have a little room in your house for myself and my little hind?' "'Yes, my dear daughter,' she replied. "'I will certainly give you a room.' And she immediately took them into the hut, and then into the dearest little room it was possible to find. It contained two little beds all draped in pure white and beautifully clean. As the night began to come in, Desiree changed her form and became the princess again. And seeing this, Giroflée kissed her and hugged her with delight. The old woman knocked at the door, and without entering she handed Giroflée some fresh fruit, which they were very pleased to have to eat. And then they went to bed. But as soon as day dawned, Desiree took again the shape and form of a white hind. Now Bekafigue was in the very same wood, and came to the hut where the old woman lived. He begged her to give him something for his master to eat, but the old woman told him that if his master spent the night in the forest, harm would surely happen to him, because it was full of wild animals. Why should he not come to her hut? Why should he not accept the little room she could offer him? He was welcome to it, and a good meal besides. Then Bekafig went back and told the prince all that the old woman had said, and persuaded him to accept her offer. They put the prince into the room next to the princess, but neither of them knew anything of this arrangement. The next morning, the prince called Bekafig and told him that he was going into the forest, and that he was not to follow him. The prince had walked and walked for a long time in the forest, grieving over his loss, when suddenly in the distance he saw a lovely little white hind, and gave chase and tried to catch it. The hind, who was no other than the little princess, ran and ran far away until the prince, in utter fatigue, gave up the chase. But he resolved to look again the next day, and to be more careful this time, so as not to let the hind get away. Then he went home and told the story to Bekafig, while the princess on her side was telling her dear Giroflée that a young hunter had chased her and tried to kill her, but she was so fleet-footed that she got away. Giroflée told her not to go out any more, but to stay in and read some books that she would find for her. But after a little thought, the princess found it too awful to be shut up in one little room all day long. So the next morning she went out again into the forest and wandered through the beautiful dells and glades. After going some distance, she saw a young hunter lying down on the mossy bank asleep, and, approaching him cautiously, she found that she was now so very close to him that it would be impossible to get away before he awoke. Then again, he was so handsome that, instead of running away, 
she rubbed her little nose against the young hunter. What was her surprise to see that it was her dear prince? For he, at her caress, opened his eyes, and she at once recognized him. And when he jumped up and stroked and patted her, she trembled with delight and raised her beautiful eyes to his in the dumb eloquence of love. Ah, little white hind, said he, if you only knew how miserable I am and what the cause of it is, you would not envy me. I love you, little hind, and I will take care of you and look after you. And with this, he went farther into the forest to find some green herbs for her. Now the hind, with a sudden fright, found its heels again. And, just because she wanted so much to stay, she bounded off as fast as she could go, and never stopped till she reached home, where in great excitement she told Giroflé all that had happened. The prince, when he returned and found that the hind had disappeared, went back also to the hut, and told the old woman that the hind had deserted him just when he had been so very kind to it, and had gone in search of food for it. The warrior prince then explained to Bekafig that it was only to see the little hind that he had remained so long, and that on the morrow he would depart and go away. But he did not. The princess, in the meantime, resolved to go a long way into the forest on the morrow, so as to miss the prince. But he guessed her little trick, and so the next day he did the same as she. Then, suddenly in the distance, he saw the hind so plainly that he let fly an arrow to attract its attention. What was his dismay to see the arrow pierce the flank of the poor little hind? She fell down immediately on a mossy bank, and swiftly the prince ran up. He was so upset at what had happened that he flew and got leaves and stopped the bleeding. Then he said, "'Is it not your fault, little flyer? You ran away and left me yesterday, and the same would have happened today if this had not occurred.' The hind did not reply at all. What could she say? And besides, she was in too much pain to do anything but moan. The prince caressed her again and again. "'What have I done to you?' he said. "'I love you and cannot bear to think I have wounded you.' But her moaning went on. At last the prince resolved to go to the hut and get something to carry her on. But before he went he tied her up with little ribbons and they were tied in such a manner that the princess could not undo them. As she was trying to free herself, she saw Giroflée coming towards her, and made a sign for her to hasten, and, strange to say, Giroflée reached her exactly at the same moment as the prince with Bécafig. "'I have wounded this little hind, madam,' said the prince, "'and she is mine.' "'Sir,' replied Giroflée, "'this little hind is well known to me.' and if you want to see how she recognizes me, you will give her her liberty. The prince then cut the ribbons in compliance with her request. Come along, my little hind, said Giroflée. Kiss me. At this the little hind threw herself on Giroflée's neck. Nestle to my heart, now give me a sigh. The hind obeyed, and the prince could not doubt that what Giroflée said was true. I give her to you, said the prince, for I see she loves you. Now when Bekafig saw Giroflée, he told the prince that he had seen her in the castle with the princess Desiree, and that he knew that Giroflée was staying in a part of their own hut. Why could they not find out if the princess was staying there also? So the following night, the prince, having agreed, 
Becafigue listened through a chink in the wall of the hut, and what was his surprise to hear two voices talking? One said, Oh, that I might die at once. It would be better than to remain behind all the days of my life. What a fate! Only to be myself to you and to all others a little white hind. How terrible never to be able to talk to my prince. Becafigue put his eye to the chink, and this is what he saw. There was the princess in a beautiful dress all shining with gold. In her lovely hair were diamonds, but the tears in her eyes seemed to sparkle even more brightly. She was beautiful beyond words, and disconsolate beyond sorrow. Becafigue nearly cried out with joy at the sight of her. He ran off at once and told the prince. Ah, seigneur, said he, come with me at once, and you will see in the flesh the maiden you love. The prince ran with him, and when they came on tiptoe to the chink in the wall, he looked and saw his dear princess. Then so great was his joy that he could not be restrained. He went and knocked at the door, resolving to see his princess at once. Giroflet, thinking it was the old woman, opened the door, and the prince immediately dashed into the room and threw himself at the feet of the princess, and kissed her hand, and told her how much he loved her. What, my dear little princess, was it you that I wounded as a little hind? What can I do to show my sorrow for so great a crime? The way in which he spoke put all the doubts from the princess's mind. The prince, knowing all, loved her. She bade him rise, and then stood with downcast eyes, fearing the worst. Her fears were justified. In a moment his arms were around her, and she was sobbing for joy on his breast. They had stood a moment so, when suddenly the prince started and listened. What sound was that? It was the tramp of armed men. Nearer and nearer it came, the threatening sound of an advancing host. He opened the window, and, on looking out, saw a great army approaching. They were his own soldiers, going up against Desiree's father to avenge the insult offered to their prince. And the king, his father, was at their head, in a litter of gold. When the warrior prince saw that his father was there, he ran out to him, and threw his arms round his neck, and kissed him. "'Where have you been, my son?' said the king. "'Your absence has caused me great sorrow.' Then the prince told him all about Long Epine, and how the princess had been changed into a hind through her disregard of the fairy's warning. The king was terribly grieved at this news, and turned his eyes to heaven and clasped his hands. At this moment the princess Desiree came out, mounted on a pure white horse, and looking more beautiful and lovely than she had ever been. Giroflet was also with her as her attendant. The spell had been removed forever. At the sight of them, the old king blessed them, and said that he would give his kingdom to his son as soon as he was married to the princess Desiree. The princess thanked him a thousand times for his goodness, and then the king ordered the army to return to the city, for there would be no war but only rejoicing. Back into the capital, a mighty procession, an army headed by its rulers, and victorious without striking a blow. Great was the joy of all the people to see the prince and the princess, and they showered upon them heaps of presents, the like of which was never seen. The faithful Becafigue begged the prince to allow him to marry Giroflet, 
She was delighted to have such a great offer, and more than delighted to remain in a land where she would always be with her dear princess. Now the fairy Tulip, when she heard all that had happened, resolved out of the goodness of her heart to give Giroflée a splendid present, so that her husband should not have the advantage of being richer. It will astonish you to hear that she gave her four big gold mines in India, and you know what the gold mines in India are worth. And the marriage feasts lasted several months. Each day was a greater day than the one before, and every day the adventures of the little white hind were sung throughout the country, even as they are still sung in boudoir, fireside, and camp to this very day. End of chapter 6